I'm Richard Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. God, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. I did some research, though, which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carbohydrate intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey y'all, I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I also used to be a type 2 diabetic, but not quite as severely as Richard. Yeah. I devoured all the information Richard sent me, and after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, I also went on the ketogenic diet. That was in February 2016. By April, I was in full swing reversing my diabetes. We're not doctors and we don't give medical advice. We're just a couple of dudes on the internet who reverse their diabetes by following a ketogenic diet. And we just want to share our experiences yeah. and what we know about the science behind the ketogenic diet. Yeah, so we started this podcast to chronicle Carl's journey and to provide some solid information to those curious about this dietary lifestyle. Right. And we have over 200 podcast episodes. In fact, this is 223. Nice. And you know, some of those have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. Mm -hmm. We also have a community. Uh, after failing miserably on Facebook, miserably, <laughs> we moved our online community to the Ketogenic Forums, where tens of thousands of people share their experiences. We also founded an annual ketogenic festival called KetoFest. Carl and I are both software developers, and as such, we found ourselves at software conferences several times a year. We tend to gravitate towards the conversations that happen in the hallways at conferences. Sure, the talks are great, but it's the community that we enjoy the most. So KetoFest was started as a conference to discuss the latest research of ketogenic diets, but also a festival celebrating the ketogenic lifestyle. We're currently planning KetoFest for October 2022, so if you'd like to be notified when tickets are available, please... Add your name to the list at ketofest.com. So, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a <laughs> diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, our cells prefer to burn fat. Mm -hmm. That produces molecules called ketones that our bodies use for fuel. Right. Our primary molecular fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat. And in the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. But you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? When you're starting out, you may have to, but then in a few weeks, as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy, when all of your calories come from fatty acids, the amount you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy your body needs to run every day, but also the amount of fat that can be drawn down from storage. So how much do we need to restrict carbs in order to get ourselves into that state? That depends. Some of us who are metabolically disordered need to get uh, below 20 grams a day. Somebody who's quite metabolically flexible can eat as much as 100 grams a day. How about other nutrients like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? Well, you need from one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean mass. And beyond that, you just waste excess by turning it into energy instead of using fatty acids. As for other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs plus leafy green vegetables, you're going to get most of those because the organisms that made those foods had already concentrated those essential cofactors. Ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. Oh, yeah. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked or takeout. Hot cuisine. Hot cuisine! <laughs> <laughs> or just bacon and eggs. As long as your carbohydrates are low enough. 
And if you're an absolute beginner, check out our Starting Keto episode for more information at start.2keto.com. So, man, how you been? Merry Christmas, first of all. Merry Christmas. It's uh, five minutes past midnight on Christmas Christmas morning. In Australia. So, in Australia. Yeah, it's still Christmas Eve in, uh, in Connecticut, right? It's five past eight a.m. on December twenty fourth. <laughs> right. So yeah, we are quite literally on opposite sides of the world. Here we are. Oh, I'm sorry for the flat earthers. Richard's on the <laughs> underside, and I'm on the top side. Did didn't you know that Australians are all crisis actors? That <laughs> nobody can have that actual accent. I mean, that's just impossible. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been fine. It's uh, it's Christmas time in Australia, which is middle of summer. Right. So. All the things that uh, come, we have had the longest day of the year, yeah. Um, and it's sort of like still sunny at nine PM in the evening. Yep. And uh, sun starts coming up uh, just before five AM in the morning. So mm-hmm. it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I've been good. How about you? It's been a good week. Um, I played a gig last Saturday with my band. Ah, nice. And uh, we had a record turnout. The mayor was there and like uh, a bunch of friends and family. And uh, well, it was just one of those magic moments in the middle of all this chaos, you know, that um, nine or 10 musicians can get together and really put it out for a big audience. It was great. Nice. Did you have, did you have any COVID issues? I mean, any uh, COVID compliance issues? Yeah, actually we, we, did, but it was after the fact. First of all, nobody was wearing masks. Well, very few people were wearing masks at the gig. Um, I guess the the establishment just expected people to act responsibly. Yeah. And then after the gig, the drummer, who was a stand-in drummer, because my regular drummer is re- still recovering from back surgery, so the stand-in drummer notifies us the next day that he is positive. Ah. Uh. So now we're all screwed up because we want to have dinner with our families on Christmas and yada, yada. So I got a test and it was negative. Did you do a home test or you did the Yeah, I did both. Cool. Um, my brother Jay was negative. Other people in the band were negative. So we felt like we were in the clear there. Yeah. And I got a booster yesterday. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Yeah. So, so you know, you pro- you may not have needed one because uh, – so they've, sh- they've shown that uh, – that people who have COVID and that at least 16 weeks later get one shot of any of the vaccines have super immunity to just about all of the coronaviruses. Wow, great. They, they, ha- they have immunity to SARS-1, which was the the virus that came out around in, what, 2003? So. Yeah, I remember hearing about SARS-1, that, and this was from um, Dr. John Campbell on yeah. YouTube, yeah, yeah. that people who had SARS-1 16 years later, still had immunity to SARS-1. Yes. Yeah. Which shows that uh, no matter how you get immunity, whether you get infected or you get vaccines or you get infected and get vaccines, um, we know that, well, we we can speculate that at least um, 17 years later, we're still going to have protection against uh, severe disease. We may still get infected, um, yeah. but um, you know, we'll have low antibodies because, I mean, the, the, the body can't make antibodies to every um, uh, pathogen it ever meets. Otherwise, your blood supply would have no room for blood. <laughs> it'd, be, <laughs> yeah. it'd be full of <laughs> immunoglobulins. So we should put up uh, those links to that science mm. sure. for people sure, sure. who are curious because this is kind of like critical time. 
So normally what happens when you meet a tall, dark stranger uh, epitope, a pathogen, <laughs> in the night, uh, normally what happens is that your immune system makes an immune response. Yeah. And so it starts over three or four days to generate antibodies against that particular pathogen. Yeah. And those antibodies uh, are able to stop it from getting into cells. Yeah. Um, but that response is really the short phase response for, you know, oh, my God, there's something weird here. We need yeah. to make things to respond to it. Mm. But at the same time, we make we specialise a, a, a cell called a memory B cell, which, yeah. which then waits for the next time we're going to come up against that pathogen and right. it makes a second load of antibodies. So... But that takes, you know, as I say, three or four days to, to go from, or oh, here's a thing to now we have enough antibodies to stop it getting into cells. But we also make T cells, and the T cells are killer cells, and their job is to find cells that, of ours that have been infected mm. and to, to shut them down, right. to run their programmatic suicide program. Right, right. The cool thing about this is that if you don't come up against this pathogen for a couple of weeks, what your body does is it automatically down-regulates the antibody response right? so that it can be ready for the next thing. But while it's doing that is it goes, your, your memory B cells and, and T cells that, are, that have the memory of this thing, the memory of this pathogen, and they're ready for it. Uh, the, the B cells are going to make antibodies and the T cells are going to shut down cells that are reproducing it. Yeah, and they go to sleep. Well, actually, they don't go to sleep. What happens is they undergo a process called somatic hypermutation, which is where – so they essentially roll the dice um, to make uh, daughter's copies of themselves that are slightly different. Hmm. And so essentially it's a, a really fast way of evolving. Oh, wow. Because what's going to happen is you meet a virus, you manage to get rid of it. Yeah. You don't meet it again for another six months. What's going to happen in those six months is it might have slightly changed some things. And so mm. while the virus is off there slightly changing some things, producing mutations, yeah. our immune system is also mutating our response. Wow. It's called affinity maturation. So what that means is that when it comes back, when that virus comes back and it's different, we already have tools to to be able to respond to that difference so that is so cool i did not know that it's extremely i always i always just pictured it as okay your 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 arsenal Mm -hmm. is sort of on call yeah you know they're they're just sort of waiting you don't have active bullets in the air yeah right but but you know when the time comes and and a response is necessary, they wake up and antibodies come out. They do. So that's really yeah. all I knew about it. But that is really fascinating yeah. what you just described there. So that's why we need boosters because out of an abundance of caution to make sure nobody was uh, everybody had high levels of antibodies, hmm. they gave us the two doses three weeks apart. Yeah. Now if they'd given given those doses like twelve to sixteen weeks apart, that that would be it. We wouldn't need any more boosters. Nothing. Nothing yeah. else. But because they didn't we haven't had that time uh, you know for affinity maturation oh, so the booster that you just had today it's basically curing the 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 affinity maturation that you've been doing over the past 16 weeks so richard did you get a test as well yeah so i had a christmas party a lab christmas party last week last wednesday mm-hmm. and then uh i was notified and so we have to check in with the vr code at everywhere we go mm-hmm. and if somebody who was at that event or at that location at the time that you were there comes up with a positive test you get notified to say yeah you know you could you could be a casual contact yep. i mean it was in it was in a large bar and we were outside in the veranda so it's highly unlikely yeah yeah um so anyway i um i i, I did a, a home 
<laughs> the good news is I'm not pregnant. I did a home <laughs> pregnancy test thing, which is like – so it's a, it's a really cool um, gadget. You can make these things with an inkjet printer. Really? It's actually not – yeah, it's, it's not complicated science. Yeah, yeah, special kinds of inks. You have oh, to okay. – you, you, basic, you basically use antibody. So, look, if you know any chemical engineers who are experts in inkjet printers who are looking around for something to do during the crisis, they could be doing that. Wow. <laughs> they could be spending time working on ink, inkjet printers and and so so it's you know it's just four different inks and so do um, you put a drop of blood in there and see if it turns color or something or no so so you stick a swab up you know it's the same oh. way the regular test and okay. then you stick you stick that in a in a solution um in a in a, a solute which is like a it's a, a salty water essentially mm-hmm. saline mm-hmm. and then you put four drops of that in a little well mm-hmm. on the plate and then what that does is the, the the actual what's underneath the 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 test is a piece of filter paper. Okay. What happens is you when you put a, four drops of liquid in the on a piece of filter paper, you know what happens. Mm-hmm. The the paper the, the paper gets eventually wetter and wetter as the as the front of the solute moves along. Right. Now that solute's carrying um, everything that was in my nose yeah. along with it. Yeah. And it it passes through a line of inkjet printed antibodies and it carries them along with it. Oh. And then when it passes um, the two locations for the test and the control, the moving antibody has a gold particle attached to it mm. and it stops on those lines because it hooks up with another another antibody ah. that's actually bound to the filter paper. And So it, it's a very simple thing. You can make these for a couple of cents. Wow. Like we have to buy them for ten bucks. So right. South Korea were giving these things away in the mail, which wow. is, and I think I think um, the US is now. We're we're going to be doing that, so, yeah. Which is awesome. We should have been doing that. I agree. We should have been doing that from the get go. But yeah, yeah. anyway, so so that's my little uh, little bit of COVID <laughs> experience this week. Well, we know it's a long intro, and there's good reason for it, though. Um, it's Christmas time, and Richard, Carey, and myself appeared on Dan Grief's UK Low Carb podcast, Mm -hmm. and that is being shown today. It's video. It's the video version of what you're about to hear. And what we did is we took the audio from that, and that is going to be our show today. Yeah. So without any further ado, let's talk to Dan. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody, and it's a really wonderful show because I'm spending Christmas today with the Keto Dudes, so I'm joined by Carl Franklin in his home, although he's actually outside in the snow, with Richard Morris and Carrie Brown. Welcome to UK Low Carb and Merry Christmas. Merry Merry Christmas! Christmas. Fantastic. It's bloody hell. I can't believe we're all together again to spend such a special day together. Carl, you're out in the middle of the snow there on your screen. I mean, you must be freezing. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I am freezing. You can tell by my, my teeth are chattering and stuff, but it's really amazing how none of the snow is sticking to me. I don't <laughs> <laughs> it's magic, isn't it? Richard, on the other hand, you look really warm. I'm confused considering well, we're all in the same it, house together, but on it, Zoom, it, as you do in yeah. COVID times. In the, the pandemic? Yeah. Um, no, I'm actually, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a balmy weather here for some reason in this room. <laughs> what, temp- what temperature has it been today, Richard? Uh, mid-20s. Mid-20s. That's not too bad, is it's it? Celsius for you Americans. Celsius. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. sorry. In Fahrenheit, that's uh, a million <laughs> under. I don't know. I don't exactly. need Fahrenheit. But <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no Americans listening here, Carl. Yeah, that's true. UK low carb, so. Yeah, true. sorry, sorry. And, uh, and, 
And Carrie, what about yourself? What's it like in your room of the house? It's perfect. Perfect. You're it's the kitchen, like aren't you? 72 degrees. That's No, really hot. I'm in the office. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that means. I don't know if that's hot or cold or like, you know, you're freezing right now. It's perfect. Okay. <laughs> it's perfect. It's, it's, it's about 21 pa- degrees centigrade, maybe. Yeah. And, okay. and I'm in the office, not the kitchen. Oh, okay. Oh, that's the office. Right. Okay. So we're in the same house together. We're spending Christmas Day together. And I thought we'd do this episode um, just about what our Christmas Day is going to look like. Okay. And we can play some parlor games as well and um, just learn a bit more about each other and then have a bit of fun. So are you up for that, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's start off then first with any traditions you have in your family. Oh. Um, so, Carl, what's your tradition that you yeah, do in your I have, family? We have traditions where we get up early. We uh, drink heavily all day and get mad at each other and slam doors and run off uh, huffy in all directions. And then just go out for Chinese, but everybody to a different Chinese restaurant by themselves. (laughs) A bit like this Christmas we're spending together in different rooms of the house or outside on Zoom. We don't want to actually do this in person. Yeah, That is actually a sacred American tradition. So we're just falling in line. no, saying, no, that you say it's a wonderful life isn't true. I mean, I, 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 I thought that's what all you Americans did every Mary, time was talk Mary. to Asians and you know, okay. Actually, one of our traditions is uh, Kelly and I watching that movie. It's American, uh, it's a wonderful life, not it's an American life. That's this American, never mind. It's a wonderful life, yeah, it is. And I had never seen the movie before until uh, Kelly and I were married, and she said, This is my tradition, so. So that became our, you know, when we wrap gifts and stuff. Now all our kids are out of the house. So there's no more traditional gift wrapping and all that stuff. So Christmas is very low key around here, yeah. but we do eat well. That's that's the main thing. We'll come on to food as well. I find mm. that with traditions anyway, that all you have to do is do it once. And if someone remembers it the next year, that's a tradition we've always done. And it's, it is <laughs> that way forever and ever and ever. But we have to always burn the turkey. No, that was just a one-off, surely. <laughs> why, do we, why do we do that every year, guys? This is miserable. Let's go and get Chinese. I, I anyway. found that, I find that, um, you know, being um, ketogenic, it's, it's very hard for me to bring forward you know, uh, tradition, food traditions from the family, right. From the past. So yeah. So you really do. That's right, Richard. You have to make new ones. And, and I told my kids, I'm like, okay, well, we're, we're creating new Franklin family traditions here. So they're 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 not there anymore. So how did that go? Well, they come (laughs) over for Christmas dinner. Oh, they do. They do come back. Okay, yeah. just before the Chinese. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What traditions do you have absurd. now? Then what? What? What do you have now? Then as a tradition, Carl? Uh, well, we don't really have a traditional dinner, but it, it usually involves beef of some kind. Nice. I'm sure you guys can relate to that. Uh, okay. So this year, I thought I would do a smoked rib roast. Oh, we'll come on to that later as well, because that sounds yeah. flipping amazing. Right. Before we go any further, then I need to find about other traditions. So Richard and Carrie, is it kind of, uh, you know, you, you pick up and you take it as you find it kind of day, or do you have traditions that you'd like to stick to? Well, um, I am not doing my tradition this year. My tradition for the last 15 years has been to pack up the car and leave around the, 
18th or 19th and go somewhere that I've never been before and photograph things for 10 days and then come back when it's all over. So I typically don't even know which day Christmas Day is, but I do know that December 26th is the absolute best day in the whole year to go to national parks because literally nobody else is there. I once spent um, the 26th of December in the Painted Desert National Park in Arizona, and I literally didn't see another human all day. It was fantastic. Wow, mm. there you go. Fantastic. So, yeah, so so I'm I'm all about the with, – with Richard and Carl is like make new traditions. It, this, it looks very, very different from the Christmas tradition that I had growing up when I was in England with – you know, parents and, um, but it, that, I mean, my life is so different to that, Mm -hmm. that I just decided that, and I don't have a family. I don't have, you know, downward sideways anywhere. So I I, I know, but I, I just decided, um, 15 years ago that I, I was just going to do the thing that makes me happiest over the winter holiday. And it just so happened that, because I used to work for Microsoft. So, the whole of Microsoft literally like shut down for two weeks and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take off. And so that became my tradition was exploring new places and photographing landscapes, which is my favorite thing to do mm. and going to new things and finding new places to eat. And, but it was nothing Christmassy about it. Wow. Fantastic. I mean, I think you're right in a way, in a way, if you have too many traditions, you always have an expectation of how Christmas has to be and you have to be flexible to realizing things change. And what do you really want to do? I mean, I spent Christmas in India one year and that was a different experience because, you know, having a Maharaja burger at McDonald's that year, this is before low carb. <laughs> and uh, Wait a minute. A it's burger? a real thing. Yeah. 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 And with then I beef? went, no, with chicken, it was a chicken was, burger. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. going to say, do you still do you still have that pass as a burger? I mean, that's how they sold it to me. Um, yeah. And then I had like a Pizza Hut in the evening. I mean, this is definitely my carb days. And that is the <laughs> most depressing Christmas I ever had, um, yeah. really, in all honesty. But you know what? It's just, it's just wherever you are and you want to be there. I mean, I wanted to be with my family, and the next year I was, and it's much better. So just the way if it works I was out. in India at Christmas time, I'd probably get some butter chicken or something. You those, say that, that. Those, those, that cardamom and those uh, spices that are in. That can I, can I just explain, stuff. by the way? I'm very, not a, curry, yeah. very Christmassy yeah. to me. I'm not like I'm not really like a complete philistine or anything. I'd been in India by that point for two months, so mm. I tried everything. I've been yeah. sick everywhere. I've had diarrhea. Everywhere. We <laughs> yeah. don't go into yeah. that now. Well, that's that's a genuine experience. So. Yeah, and yeah, so I really wanted Christmas cool. to be as bump bump free as possible and as smooth as possible. I was going uh, for my Maharaja burger and my curried pizza, and that was it. You know, so I wanted to go for safety first that day, and I think. <laughs> I think also it's just the familiarity of just trying something that's a bit more like home food. Because I love mm. when I'm in a country, I'm not one of these Brits who, well, Carrie knows these types, who turn up to a country and basically say, I want a cup of tea and I want bacon and eggs. Well, actually, and I do fish that and now. Chips. What am I saying? But yeah, they want fish and chips. They want to have like a pie and mash. A warm beer. And a warm beer on the south of the Spanish coastline. I'm not that sort mm. of Brit. I like to experience the food of the country. But by Christmas, I was very much ready just to have something simple and not yeah. have um, yeah, diarrhea. So anyway, right, let's let's carry on. Anyway, Richard, any traditions you have that don't involve toilet time? Well, 
uh, we don't have kids, so so I mean, Christmas is mostly around kids. So generally, what'll happen is we'll alternate. Either we'll go visit Julie's family, or we'll go visit my family, and um, in a, in a four year block, we'll we'll be at home for two two of the years, and one of them will visit us. Or, uh, so this year, this year Julie's going to visit her family. Um, I'm not going because I'm working on some stuff for school. Um, so I'm just going to be working at home and enjoying um, the regular Christmas traditions of Australia, which is really um, uh, delaying gratification until uh, Boxing Day because <laughs> box, Boxing Day is kind of like our version of Thanksgiving in Australia. So Australia, it, it's kind of weird. We have We have traditions from our English heritage of having a lot of um, – uh, traditional uh, Christmas foods for you know, a baked ham, you know, a, tur- a large goose or a turkey, or, you know, and this food is not really appropriate for the middle of summer. I'm not mm. sure if you realise it, but the Christmas what? in Australia summer? is the middle of summer. Middle You're just downstairs, summer. mate. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's a shrimp on the barbie. Well, I said downstairs. And, I didn't mean the other hemisphere of the earth, but okay. And <laughs> and so, our, I mean, in our family, we've, we've tried to buck some of the – my family, we tried to buck some of the trends and, and have a, a, a shrimp sandwich. Well, back when I was a car beater, I'd have a shrimp sandwich, shrimp mayonnaise and uh, uh, on, a, on, a, on, on, a, on a hoagie roll. A po' boy. And, Po boy, yeah, and um, so uh, but, but essentially, what we do is on Boxing Day, we get all of the food that we had left over from Christmas Day, and everyone eats leftovers and then sits on the couch watching sport on TV until you pass out. And so, that's kind of the traditional Thanksgiving mm. experience in America, mm. yeah, from my yeah. experience of living there for eight years. So, um, so it's not so much that because we don't have kids, there's no, there's no, there's no need to set new traditions and the like but uh yeah it, it's, it's kind of strange in australia because everybody else is celebrating we even have christmas trees with fake snow on them and we have people <laughs> who put on their, on, in their yards um blow up snowmen and the, you know the, all the traditional christmasy things from the northern <laughs> hemisphere which have hey, you no know, meaning in australia. christmas is about pretending so you might as well just take it to the obvious yeah, may as well. <laughs> yeah, let's say we don't have any snow in this country. I don't know about in uh, the east coast of America right now, but there's no snow here ever, really. And um, maybe a couple of days in February or, or January, and that's about it. And yet mm. people do the same here with, like, fake snow and all the rest of it. Um, mm. I just find it weird, this kind of – I don't know where – is it like Dickens maybe? It's a bit of Dickens – a bit of kind of American Disney sort of all mixed together. And we've got this really Northern hemisphere kind of Norwegian experience of Christmas or whatnot. And it's, it's so not really experienced by most of us in that way, but we all like aspire to it. Even if you're in a hot country in the middle of summer, it's just crazy, isn't it? (laughs) That would be the ideal being, uh, you know, in snow. So I had, so I used to, when I was um, teaching, lecturing at, South Bank University at the baking, I there was I did a cake decorating class and I had a student and it was right before Christmas and we were making Christmas cakes and we were decorating Christmas cakes. And I'm doing the rounds and helping people out and seeing what they're doing. And this gal from I think it was Nigeria, she, her, her, she'd done her Christmas cake blue because she had never seen snow. Wow. <laughs> And wow. so she, she didn't know. Yeah, well, she didn't know that snow only came in white 
And so it was just one of those those kind of really cultural, like, whoa, moments for me that because, you know, I, you can get so insular in that you think like your experience is everybody else's experience. And, and it knows. So she did a blue Christmas cake. It's I crazy. can bring that back to India. I have a friend who was born in India and he's in the U.S. now, um, a software developer. And he was up in New London. We were working on a video together. This was years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And uh, I, I made a reference to uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And he goes, what's that? Really? Said, the Beatles. Who? <laughs> no way. I, and it just never occurred to me that there were people on earth who had never heard of the Beatles. Who are not like under the age of 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he, he was my age. So. So I remember being in India that Christmas, there were people going around in the kind of, a bit like your hat there, Carl, dressed as Santa Claus. And it was really hot. Actually, it wasn't, it was a Delhi. So Delhi is quite cold at the time, but it was still a lot hotter than it would be in the UK. And I was kind of like, this is weird. Like, is this weird cultural (laughs) Coca-Cola character that's brought out for the Northern Hemisphere is in India? You know, it's just just very odd. The only reason Um, I wore this is because if I didn't have a hat, uh, these days my hair is looking, my morning hair is looking like heat miser. (laughs) So it... (laughs) I'm not even going to take it off. I mean, I was going to say, please please do like, take it off. Take it. Okay. We'll leave that then. We'll leave that. That's what friends call me. Heat miser. Put it on. Put it on. Put it on. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to throw dollar bills at Carl until he starts putting on clothes. (laughs) Put it on. Put it all on. Anyway, good. Actually, just just a little quick thing I'll say there. So in Cambridge, where I live, we have the American cemetery for the airmen who um, didn't make it back to the States. They passed away. You know, either they got back and they died from their flights in the Second World War, or maybe they were, you know, whatever happened to them. So... I actually was working with a Chinese group of students who came to the UK. They then did a tour of, of Europe uh, and I was with them for a month. It was an amazing job. And I thought, you know what, as we're in Cambridge, my hometown, let's take them to the cemetery. And we turned up and it was just a beautiful moment where there are 40 ch- Chinese students and these airmen from the States had all come together. They're in the same B-17 flying fortress in the Second World War. They survived the war. And they came over for a reunion in Cambridge to go and see the graves of their fallen colleagues. And they and, and I thought we could be stepping on some lines over some lines here because there's 14 teenagers, sorry, 40 teenagers, and there's like these eight airmen. So anyway, we went over to, and one of them came to talk to us and said, we'd love to talk to your students if you like. So I was like, as a history geek, I was asking them mm-hmm. everything about the missions they went on, about sure. daytime raids for the Americans, British nighttime raids and how that affected them, et cetera. And this whole area was like, basically the Americans were based all over this area. Afterwards, the Chinese teachers, not the students, the Chinese teachers said, what on earth were they talking about? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't explain well enough that these are airmen in the Second World War. They didn't know, these are teachers, bear in mind, they didn't realise that America and Britain fought Germany in the Second World War. For them, the Second World War was solely Japan Japan and China, because that's the narrative that they know. Even though in in our countries, you'd hope people would know that as well, especially Japan and America, you think. But but as far as they were concerned, it was just a Chinese-Japanese war and there was this little sideline thing going on, but they didn't know anything about it. And that was me the thinking, of- what an opportunity. They didn't know it even it happened. It's hmm. the war of Japanese aggression. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. An invasion. And and actually it was a defining point in Chinese history as to how they mm. saw themselves, which affects them to oh, this wow. day. Anyway, that's got quite heavy. Happy Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas. Let's keep it light. Let's leave it light. Now So I have to say that that my because my tradition kind of got cancelled this year, because I'm I'm here. I'm not where on a road trip. Um I was supposed to be in Texas. Um, but I have a, a very dear friend who had lost both of her parents to heart attacks this year. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I can't be jollying around Texas when I have someone in pain. Mm-hmm. So I cancelled my trip and I'm here. Um, but, like, I had to start all over because I had nothing. I Like 15 years ago, I gave away all my Christmas stuff, all my decorations mm-hmm. and all of that. So I'm kind of relearning how to do Christmas in a house. Well, Carrie, I'm glad we could spend it with you in that case. And we've made your Christmas complete. You might not agree, but I think we have. You might say, just leave me alone. Um, but that is, I think COVID means that Christmas is going to be different for a lot of people, just like last year, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, in this country right now, which obviously I'm in America, no, but in the UK right now, you know, it's very tense with the messages we're getting about Omicron and should we have Christmas, shouldn't we? And, of course, you know, the Prime Minister was caught having Christmas parties last year, apparently. Well, certainly <laughs> yeah. a lot of people in his house was, uh, although mm-hmm. he didn't know about it. So um, so, so it's, <laughs> it's an interesting time. Let's just say that. There's a photo actually just come out in the past uh, day, I think. Uh, uh, five days because it's Christmas now, Richard, don't forget. Right, of course, yes. He was having <laughs> cheese and crackers on the... On the terrace at the yeah, at with, with, with real uh, social distancing yeah. going on there, yeah. yeah. So let's let's leave that. Let's, again, it's Christmas, guys. We talked about the Second World War and massacre. We've, let's move. We've had Carl's hair. Let's keep it light, okay? We have mentioned Nazis. Hey, you don't watch it. I'm going to take off my hat again, man. No, let's move on. Let's move on. So, a very British tradition, of course, is cracker pulling. I don't know if you do that in the states or Australia, in but Australia we do not in the states, the, really. Okay, one of the key things in a cracker is that you have to have a bad joke inside. So I thought right. I'll tell you a bad joke and see if you like it. And if you for, for, first of all, for my American yeah, friends, a cracker is not a cracker. When he meant cracker pulling, it's not something you do in the kitchen. Oh my word! Uh, it's a little a uh, little cylinder that's wrapped with ribbons and paper and stuff, and you pull it apart, and it goes snap, bang. Yes, crackers. yes. Uh, I oh, forget we're, kind of, we're separate, bon bon. we're different cultures. I kind of forget that, yeah. And you yeah. pull it, and of course it rips. And like you say, there's some stuff inside it. You get yeah. a gift, a hat, and a joke. And of yeah. course, the jokes are always bad. That's just the you know a Christmas cracker joke yeah, by nature. Oh yeah. Oh, there we go. Carrie's got one there. So you just pull that bad boy and then demonstrator is that for later? Oh no, I'm gonna save it. Save uh, it. Oh yeah, gotta got save it. Gotta save it for the lamb shanks. It's your one Christmas tradition that you got to keep hold of, really. Yeah. Anyway, so I've got a joke for you guys. And if you want to uh, come up with your own joke in the show, if you feel mm. so moved to do so, then go for it. So my joke is as follows. <clears throat> Dramatic pause. Good. What do you call a line of dolls? I don't know. A barbecue. Uh, <laughs> I, I That's one for you, Richard. Put another shrimp on it. <laughs> I have a joke, a Christmas joke. Go on then, Carl. Yeah, yeah. My Christmas joke is: What do Santa's reindeer do on their day, on their down with their downtime? Um, they go down to the Elks Club and blow a few bucks. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a family show. Keep it moving. Keep it I moving. I didn't say anything wrong. It's, it's the English language. It I, is. I don't yes. know what's wrong with your mind, but. Uh, <laughs> Okay, good. And on that bombshell, should we just move on? So what are we eating, guys? That's what it comes down to first. Let's talk about the meal we're going to have later today. So what recipes do you have? It doesn't matter if we've got like a bit of a crossover with regards to uh, main course or whatnot. But for me, if I was going to have a vegan Christmas, it'd be, it'd be a total disaster. So I'm expecting meat to be a factor here, even in dessert, maybe. Mm-hmm. So let's go to you first. Uh, Richard, what's your recipe? So my recipe is uh, salt crusted pork belly, Ooh, and this yeah. yeah. So so what you want to do is you you want to talk to your butcher and get a, a, a pork belly that is as even as possible. So it has the same height right across the slab. So it's basically a square slab about a foot by a foot, and you you don't want one end to be really meaty and the other end to, to be really thin because that it doesn't mm. work as well. And uh, the whole recipe is going to take about an hour and 40 minutes to cook and it's going to take about 10 minutes to prep up. And what you want to do is um, you want to uh, get a tray, uh, an oven tray, and line it with with alfoil, aluminium foil, uh, and uh, put a rack on top of it and then put the pork belly skin side down on top of the rack. And what we're going to do is we're going to put some Chinese five spice on the on the meat side of the pork belly, and so we sprinkle a bit of Chinese five spice on and pat it pat it on. Then we turn the pork belly over, so it's now skin side up, Chinese five spice um, meat down. And what we're going to do is we're going to pour a whole bunch about a about a cup and a half of salt on it, and you're going to get a, a knife and level it across the pork belly. So it's going to end up having probably a quarter of an inch of salt quarter to half an inch of salt right across the entire pork belly. And the point of this is to try and dry out the pork belly because what we're going to do is we're going to steam the bottom. So you um, put a bit of water in the in the in the in the bottom of the tray. Richard, and you put it you mentioned skin. So you have a skin on pork belly because not all pork belly can have skin on. All pork belly that's good should <laughs> come yeah. with skin. I, I yeah. found out the hard way that the Costco pork belly doesn't have skin on it. Yeah, that, I've seen oh, that. My mouth just went dry thinking about that. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. So anyway. um so so what you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna preheat your oven to 180 Celsius or 350 Fahrenheit. And we're going to what we're gonna do is we're gonna steam the bottom of the meat, the, the, the bottom of the pork belly, while keeping the salt on top, which keeps it all dry. And um, so you're gonna you're gonna cook it um, at uh, 180 Celsius uh, for about an hour. And that's gonna ste- that's gonna essentially cook the pork belly from the bottom up. And then uh, when it's done, what will happen is the pork belly will have shrunk a little bit, but the salt will be leaving a little uh, ledge over the side of over the side of the pork belly. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to take it out of the oven and crank the oven up to two fifty Celsius, and then um, and what's that in Fahrenheit? Probably four sixty five Fahrenheit. A lot seventy Fahrenheit. Yeah, R- top of the, to the hot, uh, hottest the oven will, will go. It's Mark and nine. Mark nine, gas mark nine, right? And so then you then you're gonna then you're gonna tip out the water because we don't want the water anymore. We're going to try and cook the pork belly skin so that we get crackling from one end of the of the pork belly to the other. Yeah. And so um, so essentially, what you're going to do is you're going to take the salt off 
and you can just get a knife underneath the salt and you can mm. pull the entire thing off as a slab um, and then just brush as much as you know, there's any salt flakes left on there, brush it off, and you're going to put it in the oven for 45 minutes. And then when you take it out of the oven, you should have a thick crackling across the entire Ooh. slab. No, you let, it sit, let it sit for 10 minutes on a board and then turn it upside down so it's skin side down flesh side up and use a cleaver to cut it into one inch cubes and then you then you plate that and uh, and that's my uh that's my uh extremely low carb extremely carnivore extremely mm. keto so extremely delicious belly. yeah oh. really <laughs> chinese five star spice yum 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 yeah yes, great with pork do you do it upside down because the, the the sort of the meat is a lot softer so you cut through that and then the harder bit you just cut through at the end is yes. that the idea and that's exactly right. And you use a cleaver so that you can put your hand on the top of the cleaver and do that final through the, through the yeah through the uh, through the crackling. So yes. Just a quick question, Richard. Would you ever consider veganism? I tried vegetarian keto for a month, and I really enjoyed it. Um, at the time, I was the only t- the only way I would even contemplate doing it was if I knew that the following month I could have only carnivore. Um, <laughs> so I did a month. I did a month of vegetarian. It was over a lacto vegetarian, so I had milk and milk, uh, dairy, dairy and eggs as well. And then I did a month of pure carnivore. To be honest, I enjoyed the vegetarian more than the carnivore really? because. Yeah, because I was I like cooking and I like learning new things and I learned a lot of new things when I was when I was focused on you know this new this new framework was only eating vegetables, mm. um, so so there was that. But then um, uh, I enjoyed both, but ultimately I, I I prefer to be an omnivore. So I'm mostly carnivore with a little bit of a uh, little bit of vegetables. So it, with this particular meal with the pork belly, what I'll do is I'll. I'll have some keto coleslaw on the side, which is essentially just cabbage sliced very finely, capsicum or bell peppers in, in America sliced very finely, and mayonnaise, a little bit of um, celery salt, and uh, um, and that's uh, and you want you want your your uh, mayonnaise to have a little bit of vinegar in it, so it's kind of tart and um, and that uh, that tartness along with the fattiness of the pork go really well together since you mentioned celery salt um i was reading about celery salt the other day and i didn't realize this before it is um one of the best anti-inflammatories oh is it interesting yes so um it's also tastes fantastic it's got quite a unique celery seed and celery salt Mm -hmm. super delicious if you haven't tried them but they're also anti-inflammatory it's good for you so sodium sodium and potassium nitrate in uh in celery salt so it's it's mm. not uh it's not uh sodium chloride so that that's why you know that's probably why it's anti-inflammatory so mm. interesting amazing so that's 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 my meal and uh, look i i will eat this probably once a week i mean and you don't need mm. don't need a lot you, if each chunk is about uh, an inch by an inch i may have you know half a dozen chunks and that'll be an entire meal so. mm. Brilliant. Love that. Wonderful. I think like you said about the preparation there, a lot of meat cooking, I find, it's really simple. It's just heat and time, isn't it? So slow yeah. cooking something or whatever you want to do with it. And I find that, yeah, vegetables, the prep time is quite different, isn't it, with veg yeah. compared to meat? Yeah. Which meat's always just delicious, I think, whatever you do. Unless you- <laughs> I think 
I think the other thing, though, about veggies is that there's so many, that there's so many different flavors and textures. So maybe part of the pleasure, Richard, was that you could have a ton of different things. There's a lot of variety in vegetables. Yes. Mm. And I think think there's an evolutionary basis for that um, going back to to Dan's expertise, and and that is that um, the difference between carnivore and vegetarian is also the difference between hunting and gathering, and so um, the hunt, the hunter, you want to, you 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 want to develop a strategy that guarantees that you'll get a, a meal by having a strategy that always works to get that one, you know, to get a rabbit or to yeah. get a deer or whatever that makes it is. Sense. And and so you you you, I found in the month that I was carnivore, I lost my interest in variety. In the month that I was vegetarian, I gloried in my interest mm. in variety. Interesting. And so I think these wow. two, two things reinforce each other. The fact that vegetables have, uh, have quite a large variety is enforced by the fact that when you're eating vegetables, you kind of like variety, whereas, you know, mm. I, you hear this story so many t- times from people who go carnivore that, they, you know, I just eat the same thing every day. Um, I'm satiated. I, I'm not interested in variety. You know, we, we have friends who eat pork chops and uh, cream cheese, and that's the only thing they eat. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally find I get palate fatigue. I really Oh, get, I would know. slash my wrists if they <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> I, 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 That's the thing. I love meat. I adore meat. I eat it mostly than anything else, but if it's the same meal all the time, I find it hard. In fact, Carrie, Me when too. you said about Ted Naiman's programme um, and you said you were told you had to eat lamb at a certain time or whatever, I'd find – I don't know how you found that, but I'd struggle, I think, just to think, oh, really, well, again? I think – so one, I was in a crisis situation, yeah. you know, with my with my brain, and so I was heavily invested in doing whatever I had to do. And luckily for me, I think there were nine things I could eat, and, and one of them was lamb, and one of them was hazelnuts. And so I was like, okay. And I think key, as Richard (laughs) said, about the, you know, I'll do it for a month if I can then do carnivore for a month, is I knew it was three months. Mm. So it was like, okay, I can do anything for three months because I knew it was going to end. But I, Mm. as I say, I was lucky in that some of my very favorite things were on the menu. But I was also at the point where I was like, I, I will do anything to stop feeling the things that I'm feeling and to, you know, get ahead of this. So I think that makes it easier. But I'm like you, Dan, and I think Carl as well. I just, I could not. Carnivore, not only do I not feel as well when I do carnivore, but I like, I... I just I get to the point where I don't even want to eat because I'm so bored with Mm. eating the same stuff all the time. Yeah. What are the extreme carnivores who say no spices even? I'm like, are you kidding yeah. me? No flavor? <laughs> like lamb yeah. is gorgeous, beef is gorgeous, but no like rosemary, no, rosemary, no, rosemary, would be nice. rosemary and a coffee yeah. and a tea. Yeah. Come on. You know, like what's life about, guys? Yeah. 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 I mean I could actually become depressed about having no variety in my food. I mean, it's part of the joy of life for me is Mm -hmm. experiencing new flavors and trying new combinations and the different textures. And, you know, it's just, it's just part of life's joy to me. I couldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be without that. I I think part of the, part of the, uh, the obsession lately in the low carb movement about a high protein diets is that, 
you do get bored of the food and it, it protein is an inadequate source of energy it's it's like it's the third biochemically it's the third source of energy it's what we use when we absolutely don't don't have anything else available and it's quite it's quite nauseating because it, you produce a lot of ammonia when you when you metabolize protein for energy if you're wasting protein for energy you're not using it for what really um, it, it op, it's optimally designed for, which is essentially building enzymes and building yeah. um, structures. So, you know, the, 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 it's a hack for uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, if I eat a high-protein diet, all of a sudden I don't eat so much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's, for some people that's a, that's a value statement. Um, I don't mm. find it to be a value statement personally. I just learned something then, Richard, because I was going through quite – after speaking to Ted Neiman, I went through a higher-protein month, mm-hmm. uh, two, two weeks, and um, <laughs> my, wife, my wife said, your breath could cut glass. <laughs> you know, yeah. so to bring you into the grief household uh, of the <laughs> stories we have. But also my my peas were a little bit smelling as yeah. well. You know, like, not, a, not- like, cat, like an alley cat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, God, that's, that's strong, isn't it? Blow my neck. So it's that's a, what's happening. Ammonia yeah. is created by by the breaking down of protein. Yeah, so just when, hang out when with we... Richard, you'll learn all sorts of stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, essentially, uh, when you turn protein into into ATP, into energy, uh, you have to get rid of the nitrogen compounds in it. You know, pr- protein is not purely carbohydrate; it also has nitrogen, sulfur, selenium. Um, atoms as well that all, all have to be gotten rid of. So the sulfur, the sulfur compounds in um, some of the some of the amino acids gets turned into hydrogen sulfide, rotten egg gas, and then the the nitrogen compounds get turned into ammonia, which is quite toxic at high levels in the body. That's that's where rabbit starvation comes from. And um, uh, essentially, what we do is to safe that so that it doesn't um, cause um, cause damage, we turn it into something called urea and we pee it out. So um, <clears throat> urea is so named because it was first identified in Europe. But it's essentially uh, that it, it, you're, it's a highly polluting form of energy, uh, f- uh, fuel for, for, for mitochondria. So Wow, didn't know that. Fascinating. Well, yeah. should we move on to our next recipe? Um, I think we'll stick with um, the chaps because Carl's got something, going to be a good sort of main course thing as well. So uh, what, yeah. what are you feeding us today, Carl? All right. Well, um, a few years ago, I bought a Traeger smoker. And uh, Traeger's the brand, uh, T-R-A-E-G-E-R. Are you getting sponsored by them? I am not. I knew that was coming. <laughs> no, you got a T-shirt with it on, and, uh, and now the lights are on. No. Nobody but, um, owns Carl Franklin. No, Carl is not sponsored by anybody or anything. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so this I, I got this on the recommendation of some friends who did some serious barbecue. The reason I like it is because it uses wood pellets and it has a temperature control. So essentially there's an auger that brings the pellets to the fire pit where the where they get, you know, uh, combu- where the combustion happens and the faster they go into that fire pit, the higher the temperature. So it can control the temperature ish, you know, within 10 degrees with the, you know, by, by changing the speed. So it's good. Um, at the very low end, I think it's like 165 degrees or 150 degrees. And then you can go all the way up to, to 450 and 
at the lower temperatures, there's more smoke. At the higher temperatures, there's no smoke. Anyway, Traeger.com uh, has recipes. And this is one that I found works really well. It's slow smoked and roasted prime rib. Oh. And we'll, <laughs> we can publish the link in the show notes. Yeah, let's do the show notes. Yeah. I'll just put it in the chat right there. And uh, so this is uh, 15 minutes of prep, four hours of cooking time. So, yeah, you set the Traeger temp to 250 Fahrenheit and close the lid for 15 minutes. And then uh, you they say trim the excess fat off the roast. Losers. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> what are you doing? All right. That's the good bit. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, then you basically take the some some salt, pepper, chopped thyme, and chopped rosemary. Um, Carrie can tell you the difference between fresh herbs and dry herbs. Dry herbs are generally stronger, um, but fresh herbs just have a wonderful freshness about them. But you're smoking it, so I'd probably go with dry herbs. What, would you, what do you say, Carrie? Yeah, I mean, I, fresh herbs are, are, are very delicate, so you're gonna you're gonna kind of trash them if you yeah. unless you put them in at the end. But if you put them at the beginning, you really want to use dry herbs. And the the ratio is. Um, one tablespoon of dried herbs equals three tablespoons of fresh herbs. Yeah. So you also uh, need a lot th- less. My rule of thumb is if I'm cooking, I use uh, dry herbs. And if I'm, if I want to freshen up or put something on a salad or something fresh, then I'll use fresh herbs. All right. So uh, we're going to use a meat thermometer and stick this roast in, which is about a four, uh, eight to 10 pounds, four bones, something like that. But of course, you know, you're smoking it. So it it might take a little more time if you have a larger roast, but uh, that's why I use a thermometer, put a thermometer in there and you cook it at 250 until the internal temperature reaches 120 Fahrenheit. Which for an eight to 10 pound (laughs) roast is about four hours. What'd you say, Richard? Yeah, I, I was making a joke about you using Fahrenheit. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, because Celsius, in my country, we use it's Fahrenheit. Un- Richard, it's what in- the hell's a herb anyway? I, I, I don't know. Have an I think, yeah, no, you can't say you can't. If you say herb, they think you're. Thank you. That's no, better. Let's move on. Backwards. Oh, do they? Oh, because you put herbs. Okay. And Richard, by the way, the word herb starts with H. I learned that very quickly when I moved here and asked for herbal tea and like, it was like something the cat dragged in. So I didn't do that again. (laughs) All right. So So pass me the knife. Yeah. All right. 49 Celsius. 49 Celsius. All right. Cool. Okay. That's quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. At 120 degrees Fahrenheit, you take it out. uh, And because it's Christmas, I'm going to bring it inside and I'm going to let it rest for um, 20 minutes. And the recipe here says, uh, then increase the grill temp to 450. However, at that point, it's an oven and it's outside. So I do this second half inside in my oven. Uh, And then you basically put it back in the oven. You put it in the oven for 15 minutes. You might want to rotate it until the temperature reaches 130 and then you want to let it rest, and you have to do this 30 minutes before you dig into it. Mm-hmm. Let it rest. 
Just cover it, tent it with foil, and it will reward you immensely. And by the way, you have no doubt collected all the drippings, which you're going to make uh, a gravy from. Oh, yeah. Nice. That sounds yeah. You, could, you could probably do this in an oven, same you temperatures, could. in an oven. Yep. And then to get the, to get the smoky flavor, um, you could do it. You could put it on a barbecue with a smoke box on the barbecue, and just to just to get a, a smoke. Or if you really want to cheat, they have a product in America called Liquid Smoke. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Which nice. no, so Dan, Dan, you're you're kind of screwing your face up. And I remember when I first discovered Liquid Smoke, I assumed that it was just like this jar full of like noxious chemicals. It is literally. Liquid smoke, smoke. It is smoke that has been condensed but into let me guess, liquid. Carrie, you, you turned up trying to play it cool as a Brit abroad and you went, can I have some <laughs> liquid smoke, please? <laughs> <laughs> What's on, my girl? <laughs> so I was pleasantly surprised and I actually use liquid smoke a lot. I don't have a smoker, but I use liquid smoke a lot. Uh, and you it do is, have a smoker. Well, at Cousin Carl's house. Gun. Oh, yes, that's true. I do. I do. If and I have. It, I'd like it back. I have the dome and everything. I just haven't got to it, but I will. Um, yeah. So yeah, liquid smoke is not as is not as obnoxious. It's a real as thing. It's not like a. It's not made in a factory. Just yep. out of chemicals. But look, yep. you could you could live in a city uh, in an apartment where you don't have the luxury of a smoker. There's no place to smoke. That's that's perfectly okay. Just douse yeah, a little liquid smoke on the outside of your uh, of your meat mm-hmm. and put it in the oven. Yep. Love that. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Right. Thank you, Carl. So we've got pork and beef and it's going to be a fantastic feast. Um, but what about afterwards when we've got that little bit of space left, which we need to fill? I don't think we will after that. But um, I think what, we what want a pudding. Yeah. It's got a nice pudding. Gavna. Chim chim shiri. Carrie. Would you like to provide some lovely, tasty dessert for us? Yes, I would. I um, I recently made. I decided that the world, the keto world, needs some decent chocolate desserts. So I made a milk chocolate espresso tart. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, or rather, Dan will. Yeah, I'll do that for you if you share that with me. I'll make we'll sure put the link saved. in the in the. In fact, I'll do that right now. Yep. So people can read, go and read all the all the minutia about it because I'm not going to go through it all. But it's essentially a an almond flour crust, like mm. a, a no bake. This is a no bake tart. Um, it's essentially an almond flour chocolate almond flour no bake crust with a chocolate milk chocolate espresso ganache filling. Ooh, oh, my God. So I'm it, at the pictures, I think I need to make this. Unsafe yeah. for human consumption. <laughs> We're having it later, guys, remember? Okay, yes. Harry. So First it one. looks, uh, so Ridge is looking at the pictures. It looks very kind of Parisian patisserie, like, oh, my mm, goodness, I could does. never make that. But it's really easy, which is why I said it's essentially a no-bake Almond flour chocolate crust with a with a milk chocolate coffee espresso ganache in it. So it's actually very simple to make, and Great it is like scary. wild. It will like it will make you forget that keto is even a thing. Of course, it's all mm. keto ingredients. Um, the other thing that I 
I do a thing called the Ice Cream of the Month Club because keto ice cream is my little like passion. So I do this uh, a monthly club where I make new recipes and then I explain the the backstory to them to to the members. When I was playing with making uh, frozen key lime pies in the summer, I kept getting really frustrated with the with the crust part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it kept when it, it it was great until it was frozen, and then it would just felt kind of British claggy um, for Americans, <laughs> kind of soggy, kind of damp, but just it, it, the texture just wasn't right. Being so the I, American word is black. <laughs> What it was that like that. <laughs> claggy. <laughs> claggy. Claggy. Oh, claggy. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> Stodgy. So, so okay. I, and, and I'm, I'm bringing this part out because a lot of <laughs> folks are going to read this recipe and go, okay, seriously? I've already had people pinging me on social media going, really? I, I do that? Well, this is why. In, in the trying to figure out how to stop my frozen key lime pie being claggy, I – came up with this process whereby I toasted the almond flour in a skillet or, you know, frying pan and toasted it until it was golden brown and then used it to make the the the, the crumb crust. Mm. Absolutely transformative. It, wow. it just made a complete difference to – every kind of no-bake crust there is. So if you're reading the instructions and you're going, I'm toasting my almond flour in a skillet or my ground almonds, yes, yes, you are. And it, mm. it's, it has makes an amazing difference. But then you're just adding your sweetener. I use erythritol because erythritol tends to be more crunchy, so it would keep the, the tart crust more crusty. Uh, cocoa powder and then melted butter is what holds it all together. Yeah. And then you're you're going to put that in your in your loose bottom. You do need a loose bottom pan for this. Oh, um, Carrie, it's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a loose bottom. Well, and, Richard oh, already what? steamed his bottom, so I did steam my. Bottom. He's got a steamed <laughs> bottom. I've got a loose bottom. So you you do need because that'll make it easy to get out. Um, so you're going to put it in there. Very simple. All of you can do that. And then you're going to pop that in the fridge until it firms up. It's just, of course, the butter firming up is going to hold that all together. And then you're going to make a ganache, but you're going to make the ganache, you're going to steep the heavy cream with your ground coffee. You're going to put your ground coffee in warm, heavy cream to steep it so that all of those coffee oils come out into the cream and flavor it. And... um, when when that's ready, you're going to basically add there's vanilla extract in there, a bit of sea salt to really make the flavor pop, and your chocolate chips. Um, obviously, now do not use 100% unsweetened chocolate chips. Find a a brand of keto or you know no sugar chocolate chips to do this. If you do it with the 100% unsweetened chocolate you will have a disaster. So please don't do that. So buy the brand you like. Here in the States, we have Lilies, we have Chalk Zero, we have there's probably other brands that I don't even know about. I prefer so, Chalk Zero to Lilies. Just I, I do too. In taste wise, Chalk Zero yeah. and Chalk Zero is what I used in 
to make this. Um, So, but yeah, don't use the 100% unsweetened. You will have, you'll be very sad. So you're going to mix your hot coffee cream and your chocolate chips to make it a ganache. Then you're going to pour that into your your crust. Yum. You're sponsored yeah. by a lot of people, Mr. Pink. I know. Yeah, we're like this product placement. This is like That's the BBC. We don't do that here, okay? <laughs> you're gonna have to put that blurry thing over uh, that. Yeah, no. yeah. Just- <laughs> so you're gonna put your your ganache into the th- and it'll flow out and it'll just look beautiful, and then you're gonna put it back in the fridge for about four hours until it's set. Which um, is a perfect time for when your meat is then smoking. You've got right. the dessert and the meat. Yeah. Okay. one's doing one thing, one's the other. Exactly. Working towards the same glorious conclusion. But you can also, this is cool because you can make the crust like, you know, two days ahead of time and put that in the fridge and have it ready and then just do the, the cream bit the next day or whatever. Keeps very well in the fridge. Um, if Richard's looking at the pictures that I piped cream on top, but what I did to make it super special is I added some, I have forgotten the term, espresso powder, which is different from instant coffee. So I added um, a tablespoon of espresso powder to the heavy cream, and then I whipped it to make this beautiful coffee-colored, intensely coffee-flavored whipped cream. And that's how I decorated it, which just, you know, a coffee bean on top and a bit of chocolate drizzle, and it just looks like you're in a cafe in Paris. I said it before. I don't know if you heard me, but the the photos look amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. they are stunning pictures, Carrie. Amazing. Thank you. Um, That is your kind of skill as well, isn't it? Photography is one of your many skills um, alongside the cooking, right? That's what I get paid more for than anything else these days. So <laughs> I get paid for a lot of stuff. It doesn't mean I'm very good at it, but <laughs> but you are, and that's the important thing. So, Carrie, that's an amazing recipe. Thank you. I love it. But that. it is very simple. I, I just want to encourage people to, you know, don't look at the pictures and go, I could never do that. It really is very simple to do. And you could make one that that looks just as good as that. Now, I did this also in a rectangle tin just to show people that there's other shaped tins but mm. you can do it in a round you can do it in square you can do whatever shape you want to or you could even do it in little individual individual if yeah. you have more time and to, to make the little individual you could do that i just use the rectangle just to give you another option of doing it but if you mm. don't have a rectangle just use a round one just make sure it's a loose bottom bottom pan nice Love it. So um, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit here because I've had some three amazing recipes and I've just got a little tip really for Christmas Day food. Okay. Um, do you ever kind of feel like, well, this is how I feel anyway, on keto, you miss out on the crunch, you know, like maybe maybe the crackling would do the job for you, Richard, the way you did the pork belly. But but I find the crunch of carbs is something that I do miss. Yes. And so I'm a big cheese eater. And especially like after a meal like this, I've obviously got a lot of space left over after all that meat <laughs> and, and loveliness from Carrie there. Um, but I find just toasting some pumpkin seeds and having that with your cheese is as good as a cracker. I, I find oh, that's been nice. an absolute life changer. And so 
I might get some cured sausage meat and chop it up myself um, and then just toast off some pumpkin seeds, put it on the plate and just literally eat it with the cheese. And it gives you that lovely crunchy feeling when you're eating it. So that's my top tip, which is a bit of a cop out after all of that. Um, let me explain. You make the skillet or the pan hot about um, mm-hmm. degrees and then you do that until just before it's black you just stop it then and <laughs> put it on your plate and there you go that's my recipe yeah. okay mm-hmm. nice now i'm <laughs> gonna try that sounds good it's I definitely still have, it. uh, i still have fox hill kitchens crisps I, I was just going to say, there's another pl- product placement opportunity here know, from, from Carl and I. I know. <laughs> we are very lucky that, that Julie, our friend from Fox Hill Kitchens over here in Vermont, has just made these crisps, and they're like the best thing ever. They're the best cracker. They're the best thing so ever. So you're ahead of yeah. us in the States. I don't know about Australia, but you know, in Europe, we seem to be behind America with regards to the new products. So hopefully we'll get that here one day because it looks sounds good. Um, yeah. You know, I, I know that she would be open to having a UK distribution center. There you go. Maybe you two ought to talk. Yeah, I'm actually, okay, well, I'm actually making this right now next to a toilet that way, a laundry room that way, and a massive <laughs> warehouse that way. So maybe that massive yeah. warehouse, not the toilet, let's make <laughs> that. Maybe yeah, the yeah. warehouse could be the answer to that. Um, right. And also, did you know, dudes, that my uh, mince pie won, uh, well, I didn't win anything, but it got, I a, saw it got a name. I saw that. Yeah, but it's actually unhealthy. Right, so let me explain for listeners. So my mince yeah. pie is now about nine out of 10 for the most tasty, healthy mince pie by this national newspaper. Um, mm-hmm. But it's only a five out of 10 for health because you'll love this. It's quite yeah, high lad. in saturated fat. <laughs> suet, suet, suet and lard, right? It's just, no, it's just just the almonds it's made out of and um, what else do you oh, use in it? Butter. That's it. But oh, because, I don't, okay, I understand. It's a dietitian. So, you know, dietitians are trained in a certain way. We don't have to go to all that here. But I thought, mm-hmm. well, actually, someone said to me, but the fact that it's like the tastiest is the best thing, right? Because nobody nobody is eating a mince pie for health reasons in this country. But if you've right. got the tastiest keto thing on the menu, then you're laughing. And it, it's yeah. been amazing. So, yeah, that happened, um, was it this, last week? Yeah. So, um, congratulations. Great. Yeah, congrats. Thank you very much. So, um, that's the end of our first part where we've got the meal sorted out. We're now going to just check. Are you okay for time, everyone, to do this quick part sure. game? about yeah, sure. truth and lie yeah is that okay mm-hmm. yes yeah, up for that. okay so we're going to go to the next part of our episode now so we were talking previously about what we're having for christmas dinner and i think you can all agree we're gonna have a fantastic feast oh, yeah. uh, has anyone got a, a bad joke to tell has anyone thought of one since we've been talking i have another one <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> of course you do uh, Two product what do placements it? came into a bar. One was this product, one was this product. <laughs> this is far better at half the price. Or your money you, back uh, guaranteed. What do you call a reindeer with no legs? No with no what? eyes. Why are you picking on why are you picking on the deers? Is uh, it no idea? Know. Yeah, no I mean idea. I don't know. <laughs> what do you call a reindeer with no eyes and no legs? Still no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, that was funny. What what, what do you, you call what? A reindeer oh with no eyes, no legs, and no genitalia. Still no effing idea. <laughs> Family show, Carl. Dis- all Disney all the time. It was going so well, and then suddenly you just descended into that filth. You know the difference between uh, beer nuts and deer nuts? <laughs> no, go a on. A letter? 
Deer nuts are a dollar forty nine a pound, and deer nuts are under a buck. <laughs> <laughs> no. Good. Let's move on there. So there you go. Some bad jokes from Mr. Franklin again, uh, involving testicles, but no product placement. Yeah. So that is an improvement. Um, we're now going to play a, beer nuts. Yeah, yeah. Get your beer nuts today, folks. Beernuts.com. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> and use the code Franklin for fifteen percent off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So we're now going to play uh, true. No, would I lie to you? Um, which I think is a fantastic television show and yeah. it's a great way to get to know about people. So we might find out by the end of this parlor game that maybe one of us has killed somebody or maybe they're only lying about that. We don't know. So I'm going to just go through and choose someone randomly on my screen. So uh, Carrie it is first. And I'd like you to tell us two facts about yourself. One is true. One is false. We then can ask you questions to try to ascertain which one is true and which one's false. And at the end, you can reveal to us which one is actually true and which was the lie. So, uh, Carrie Brown, over to you. So I once paddled on a lilo or airbed for Americans um, up a crocodile-infested river in the Northern Territories, Australia, in order to get to a waterfall that you can't access any other way than paddling up the river or by helicopter. I got a question. Yes. No, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why? No, no, no. This is my show. This is my show. Let, <laughs> ignore him. Carry on. And at the end, you can have your turn, Mr. Franklin. Okay, okay. all right, all right, fine. And I have jumped out of an airplane four times. And on the fourth time, my parachute didn't open. So that was a bit of an adventure. But when I finally got it open, I landed wrong and I busted my ankle. Anyone got any questions, Carl? Why? I just, well, it's a game show. You have to ask the question and then. No, that was the oh, question. Oh, sorry, that was a question. Why okay, are you see. going to see this waterfall that in the, you know, with this very dangerous. Uh, because I'd never seen it. Because you'd never seen it. Because it's there, Carl. Because mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. why climb Everest? It's just there. That's what they say, mm. isn't it? These outdoor types. Okay. Um, mm. Carrie, so tell us, tell us about the aeroplane um, thing. What was wrong with your parachute when you jumped, when you did the jump? It didn't. <clears throat> so you, as, as you, when you're, when you're a new parachutist, you are attached. There's, there's a little loop in the top of the parachute and you are attached to the plane by like a piece of fishing twine and a piece of nylon. And so what happens is that as you fall away from the plane and, and the parachute opens, then the fishing twine breaks and you'll let go from the plane. Is that before or after your laundry comes out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my laundry came out very much later in this scenario. So, <laughs> so, so, but for reasons I don't understand, maybe whoever packed my parachute, whatever, it didn't. So when, when normally when the, the string breaks and you're free, then it all twists, but mine didn't. So you look up to, to make sure <laughs> that your parachute you kept, and I looked up and it was just the straight line. There was no canopy. Um, so wow. you have to kick in the opposite direction to to put yourself in a spin to un 
untwist the lines so that the canopy can open. Did you flap and, your arms? And if that doesn't work, you have a reserve parachute on your front. But I didn't have to deploy work, that. You don't tell anyone about it, I suppose. Right, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And, and you didn't have, you weren't connected to an instructor. This was just you. Just me. Mm-hmm. In the air. Where mm-hmm. was it? Going down, going downwards at 9.8 meters per second per second. Mm-hmm. Where, where? Where was Kent, the, uh, Kent no. England. Kent? Mm-hmm. Kent in England. I'm just going to ask That's the fellas in Kent now if that actually happened. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know who you are. It's supposed I've, to be a long I've, time ago. I've, How did they get I've in your been house? to Kent. That's a, it's a very <laughs> lovely place to auger in. The Garden of England. If, 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 you go, if you're going to go splat, Kent is a wonderful place to do it. Exactly. Why? I would choose that, yeah. My, I'm in Cambridgeshire, which is all like mud, so you'd actually just like bounce here probably instead of going straight down. Yeah. Why, why didn't you open your uh, secondary parachute? Because you're trained to see if you can fix your main one first. Yeah, but at a certain point, the ground's getting closer. Yeah, but you don't think it is because when you're that high up, you you don't get any sense that you're falling. Until about 200 feet. And then you suddenly go, oh, bother. There's ground. So, so you know. jumped out of a plane four times. Mm-hmm. Did this event occur on the fourth attempt? Mm-hmm. It did. <laughs> Was that the last attempt? Never, never been since. since. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised either, no. But um, I, ha- I have to say, it was the busted ankle that made me go, yeah, I'm not going to do this again. Not the fact yeah. that my parachute failed. Well, I was actually thinking about the dry cleaning bill for the uh, the outfit you're wearing, because if I was in that situation, <laughs> that was going to be expensive clean, I can tell you that. Uh, um, I would have just bought new underwear. Yeah, yeah, you could always do that. You could always do that. Yeah, that's true. Where would you buy your the underwear am- from, Carl? The American thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the American way. <laughs> Target. Anyway, so let's talk about this um, this airbed lilo thing uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in infested crocodile waters. Um, don't don't you think lilo's a much funner name for an airbed yeah, than yeah. airbed? An airbed, yeah. Is that because you lie low? <laughs> yes, yes. Lie, lie low in the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. So what? Yeah. Why were you on a, just a, a a lilo? Why why not a boat or something? Because you couldn't get a boat to the river. Easily, but you could easily get lilos to the river. You had to, you had to jeep in. You had to jeep into the river. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so then you floated on this river to a waterfall. I paddled. So I'm on the lilo front them crocodile infested waters with your arms Mm -hmm. in the water that Mm can bite you at any time. Mm -hmm. All right. Most 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 rivers in the Northern Territory would be crocodile infested if they're Mm -hmm. close to the. Uh, yeah, close to the water, close to the sea. Yeah, I don't have any for that. I mean, I, I actually, there. Hmm. I actually, can we, can we vote now? Do you want to vote? Okay, right. Let's go for just a quick recap then. So the, the first story was you were in a on a lilo going through crocodile infested waters to go to a waterfall that you'd never seen before. Just out of interest, was it a good experience when you got there, or was it like just like beer cans and stuff floating around? Was it oh no, it was fantastic. Because there ain't a lot of people that go to see this waterfall. It was brilliant. It was lovely. Okay. And then the second. And I was actually is- very proud of myself because I can't swim. So that? <laughs> that's impressive. How, how did you get that? Uh, it might be a lie. 
So um, I had, you have to paddle. You have to paddle on your lilo, back on your lilo. Usually rivers, the current goes one direction. Pa- you can oh. go down Away river, but turning you know, back. I actually don't remember there being like a, a, a current to, that I'd noticed. But yeah, you have to paddle. You have to paddle back to the jeep. Was it a vigorous waterfall? Lots of water? Yeah, it was very tall too. Okay. All right, let's go for it then. I'm going to go with, I think the waterfall is true. That's mine. I agree. I, I, I think I, that, that, that it sounds more impossible. I disagree. And that's why it's true. You disagree? I disagree. No, I think that the the the, the, the skydiving sounds more reasonable than a tall waterfall that's vigorous in Australia. Exactly why I thought it was false. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the same as Carl, though. I think it's, yeah, slightly more, less believable. It's probably more true. Okay, Carrie, would you like to reveal to us now which story is true and which is a lie? I did paddle on a lilo up a crocodile-infested river. (laughs) And I kind of cheated because... I, I, the, 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 the skydiving story is all true, except that it was my third jump, not my fourth. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. So nice. we're all kind of winners in a way. Yeah. Or losers. So, yeah. So, it, it, uh, I, that, or the, the, the skydiving, that all happened on the third jump, and then I never did another one. I can so, understand that. Yeah. Well done, Carrie. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or stupid. <laughs> I didn't want to say that on a podcast, but um, well done. Yes, the, ama- let's just leave it as amazing, okay? The, uh, the, the paddling part was, was again, especially brave or especially stupid because I can't, so I still can't swim. So that was um, – You'd that was to a, swim very quickly if you saw a crocodile. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 so, so the caveat is that the the it was crocodile infested, but they're saltwater crocodiles, and and they're you know the, the like the little they're not the like eighteen foot things that like could eat half of you in one mouthful. They're the the littler two foot little saltwater things that really don't really care to eat humans. So, mm. well, there you go, fantastic. I so, still didn't want to meet one, but. I'm surprised that, that that shows you, though, doesn't it? That you might know somebody really well, but you don't know those stories from the past necessarily unless you play this game. So right, let, right. let's go to you now, Richard. Um, and um, I hope you're not still a sore loser because you lost that round. Um, no, not at all. Please tell us your your two things. One is true. One is a lie. So I have, I have two facts. Fact number one is at school I faced the fastest bowler of my generation, and the first ball, I clipped a lovely ball off my pads uh, to the leg side that, that went to the boundary. That's, that's For you Americans, he's talking about cricket. I am. Right? I am talking about cricket. It's the original baseball. Yeah. I am. <laughs> and, get me uh, started, dude. And this, this, <laughs> the second fact is that my grandmothers are identical twins. Whoa, mind is blown. Okay. Your mother's father and your, I'm sorry, your mother's mother and your father's mother are identical twins. Correct. Right. We've got to dive into that one first. Um, so, they're, so they're sisters who married two brothers. Oh, now, not identical to each other. Right. right. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. I was going to say, man, in breed much? 
the winters in that, the, that would have explained a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, that is a remarkable level of inbreeding. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No. That's what I thought at first, and I'm from Norfolk, so you know this is what you're doing locally. Um, oh, and and my maternal grandmother is Tasmanian. Uh, for those who don't know, Tasmanians have a reputation for being rather inbred and and having two heads and the like. So, okay, okay. So let's talk about this story then. So they're, they're they're identical twins, but they're not related to each other apart from the fact that they eventually related to you, right? Yeah, I I have. That's I believable. Have four, I have I have four grandmothers. I had four grandmothers have all passed away. Wow. So that when when I lost when I lost my grandmothers, I had an identical human being, identical in all genetics to my to my grandmother. Wow! But in genetics only. I mean, that sounds weird. Almost like only, do you yeah, remember? Yeah. Do you remember ten years ago? And I told you that story. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You're the standing grandmother. <laughs> Come on, get get up on the notes here. Exactly. Did exactly. you call them both the same nickname, Gran or Grammy or whatever? No, one was no? nanny, and the one was nanny, and the other was grandma. Oh, wait, wait. Okay. I mean, oh, okay. So, I mean, like, let's take one set of twins. Oh, and the others were aunties. The others were aunties. aunties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which technically, I suppose they were. I mean, that's yeah, fair enough. That, it's, okay. Let's yeah. just point out identical twins are not the same person. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> we're not saying that they're like a substitute person for the other person. Um, yeah. I, okay. I grew up with a pair of identical twins. Well, one of them was identical, but. I, we could never figure out which one was identical because they look so much alike. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Well, my dad's a twin and mm. uh, with a brother, and then he has a brother and sister who are also twins. So my grandmother had four pregnancies and six kids, which must be, you know, full on. <laughs> wow. um, but actually, so these two, two of the twins, uh, two of the sisters, uh, actually married two brothers in another family. Mm. Wow. Yeah, identical right. twins, the brothers who are identical No, they weren't twins. identical. So it's the twins and married two brothers who weren't twins. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, so I think I'm happy yeah. with that story. I don't know about you. I, that it's not too outrageous. It's believable. It's outrageous, is it? It was at first. It's highly, first, it's highly reading, unlikely. It's, it's highly unlikely. True. The twins are not that common. So. Yeah, trust in a but, scientist to know the odds. Yeah. What do you think, Carrie? <laughs> I think the cricket store is balderdash. Oh, strong words. Ouch. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that he's just rubbish at cricket or rubbish at, <laughs> rubbish at lying? Mm. Um, maybe both. Who, who's the cricketer who bowled to you, by the way? Is it Shane Warne or someone? Craig McDermott. Okay. He, he, was, a, he, was, a, he was a fast really bowler. Right there, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. Huh. We went to school together for five years, so. Now that you you call him Craigie in Australia or something, don't you? You like Craigie? Cats. We call them. We call them cats. Crikey! Crikey! Now who's now who's fake accent? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, crikey! How good a cricket are you, Richard? Because you make it sound like, yeah, I got the boundary, but maybe you got the boundary all the time. I don't know. Maybe you are just a naturally good batsman. Got to remember, he was an extremely fast bowler. I get. And and it's a lot different looking at a bowler from from the audience from the from the crowd bowling and than being in the crease. The being in yes. the being yeah. in the crease and the bowler's coming at you, you have 0.2 of a second to to see where the ball's going and get the bat in the right place. 
I mean, a lot of it is actually using the direction of the ball and just the bats directing it. So you're not even hitting it, are you? So I'm just impressed that he's trying to make the right terms because I don't understand one of them. (laughs) Training and instinct. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, how long is a cricket game compared to, for instance, in the States? I might be a bit shocked. A test match is up to five days, isn't it? Five days, yeah. As you can tell, it's played by gentlemen who didn't have a career who could spend five days on a game and at the end of it say, it was a draw, sorry guys, but we had fun, that was the main thing. Gentlemen vagrants. Yeah. Do you want to move to the vote, guys, or do you have any other questions? I, I'm with Kerry. I think the, the cricket's BS. And and I think that it was a convenient subject because he's really into cricket right now. Oh, it's cricket season. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you want to explain what's going on in the cricket world for the, uh, well, people who don't care? Nah. Uh, that, it's the Ashes, right? He yeah. talked about it on Two Keto yeah, Dudes a little bit yeah. this week, last okay. week. Okay. Well, in that case, I think we should go for the vote. Uh, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go last. So, Carl, which one are you going to vote for? I think that the cricket story is BS. Okay. Carrie? Yep. Cricket, Balderdash. Box. I'm going to say it's true just to be different. So I'm going to go the cricket story is true and that your grandmothers are not identical to different families' twins. So both are partly true. Um, I did go to school with Craig McDermott. I did face up to him, but I'm so uncoordinated that I just stuck the bat out there and it went and, it, and he bowled me. Yes. Uh, I'm going for Chinese food. I'm fed up. Frick you. <laughs> 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 but but I but, but both my grandmothers are identical twins of different people. So wow, okay. Is that why okay. you didn't have children? Because like the chances of you <laughs> having you like think? ten sets of twins think? were like really high. <laughs> God, sex ten I- times. Anyway, <laughs> in one lifetime, jeez. Okay, right. Should we go to the next uh, story? It's either myself or Carl. I'll let I'll let Carrie decide which one next. Cousin Carl. Okay. Lie to me. All right. Here are my two lies, as far as you know. Uh, I went. I once flew to Vancouver, British Columbia, to speak at a conference. That was actually happening in Toronto. <laughs> For those who don't know, Vancouver is on the west They're not coast the same place. Yeah. <laughs> of Canada. And Toronto is on the east coast of Canada. Second fact, I once drove halfway to Boston, about 50 miles from where I live, uh, before I realized that my right front wheel was only being held on with one Lug nut. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Questions, anyone? How did you work out that your wheel was only on with one lug nut? Did it, like, come off and go flying no. down the road? No, fortunately, I, I pulled over before that, but it had a really bad wobble. When I, when I started out, it was just fine because the lug nut was on tightly. But, you know, 50 miles later, it started wobbling a little bit and the wobble got really bad and i was like what's going on here so i pulled over and i discovered oh not only is my hubcap missing because somebody came into my driveway and stole my hubcap and only left one lug nut on the wheel that's As a memento that, that's a yeah because they were being nice <laughs> nice criminals nice criminals but you didn't notice that as you got into the car that the the cap thing i don't know cars no it's well. on the it was on the right side and i get in on the left oh of course Unlike yeah 
Unlike me, I get yeah, They drive yes, on the yeah. wrong side of the road. Then, yeah, we whatever. we drive on the right side of the road. <laughs> Whoa! Actually, do you know who invented the uh, right driving? It was Napoleon right. Bonaparte. Yes, it's, it it's true. Before that, it, well, it wasn't really codified, but they used to drive mm. mostly on the left because of um, the lance would be on the right-hand side. So if you're defending yourself with your weapons, you need your right arm free to whip somebody out of your way or whatever, or if you're a knight to lance somebody. And Napoleon changed it around to the other way around, and then the colonies wow. decided to adapt uh, to the, the French. You know, when I was <laughs> first starting to spend time in Not England, all of them. <laughs> when I was first starting to spend time in England for conferences and whatnot, I noticed that when I walked down the sidewalk, I would walk on the right side because that's what we do in America. And I was bumping into people left and right <laughs> and their exasperated looks. And I said, oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, know yes, that. Yes, so well, we did the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, do you, you mean, left. or do you mean you're walking around in London and it turns out it's Vancouver? Can I ask you a question about that one then? So. Sure. How on earth did that happen? Because I need some explanation there. You can't yeah, just turn up okay. in the wrong part of Canada that, you know, like that, yeah, that easily. All right. So so this was the dark years for me after my divorce. And I kind of checked out a little bit for a while. And I usually, and after, thereafter, I would have my, um, what would you call her? An office assistant, bookkeeper, book my flights. But I was booking the flight. and the company that did the conference was normally in Montreal, sometimes in, uh, never in Toronto, but sometimes in Montreal. But the last one they did was in Vancouver. So this time I got an email that says it's in Mississauga. I had never heard of Mississauga or Mississauga. And I figured it was outside that you know the city limits of of Vancouver I assumed so I bought my ticket for Vancouver and I got off and I got in the taxi line and the guy said where to sir and I said um the Hilton in Mississauga Mississauga that's clear across the country sir <laughs> is that Canadian accent no, that's an Indian accent. An art. Oh my goodness. Okay. It's the best I could do. But anyway, um, I got out of the car, the Trent, the taxi, and then I had to walk. It was like it went 20 feet, pulled over, and I got out and walked the walk of shame back into the airport. And all the people in the taxi line are like, right? And then I called uh, Richard Campbell, the other Richard, that I was there speaking for conference right and i said richard i flew to vancouver and he laughs hysterically and i said now listen i'm gonna get another flight i'll be there tomorrow before the start of the conference it's okay but just do me a favor don't tell anybody because it's really embarrassing okay <laughs> i goes, would tell everyone right. <laughs> <laughs> he goes got it buddy no problem you got it, you got it. So the next gotcha, day when I gotcha walked back there, buddy. next day when I walked in, everybody's like, Carl, how's Vancouver? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds plausible. That I think that's true. That I think it's plausible. true. I think it's gotta be true. But then the other one's very believable as well. But it's gonna be really annoying if it turned out you had two nuts on your wheel and it's like, oh, it wasn't Vancouver. Uh, I guarantee was- you that I I did not shade 
any of either of these. One is a complete fabrication and the other is absolutely true. Okay, I, I'm going to go for the vote because I feel I, I don't. Unless you want to ask anything, Carrie, what do you think? Um, the Vancouver story is so Carl. It's so yes. true, isn't it? It's just so, true. so Carl. Why are yes. we wasting our time pretending yeah. that the, the the wheel thing happened? Um, and I obviously started this thinking that's not true, obviously, but now I'm like, no, it's definitely true. I want to go with that one. Carrie, the same for you. Yeah, I would. I will be floored if that wasn't part of Carl's life that he flew to Vancouver instead of Toronto. Sorry, and Carl. Richard, what about I love yourself? You. I, love that one. I, I agree with Gary. So this is the first unanimous <laughs> vote. Wait a minute. Yeah. What about Dan? What does Dan say? Oh no, I'm going. I'm in Vancouver with you right now. Ooh, all three um, of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I might be different, actually. Uh, no, I'm going to stay in Vancouver. So, which is ironically what you did by mistake. So, um, Carl, do you want to tell us uh, which one of those is true? I flew to Vancouver. Eh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the lug nuts was inspired by a real story. When I lived in California, one day I I got out to go to work and. I pull. I started pulling out of the driveway, and I felt a pudunk. And somebody had literally stole my hubcap and all four lug nuts. But I never made it out of the driveway. Yeah. So they weren't as courteous. Okay. Yeah, they weren't as courteous. So they took your wheel. They took the entire wheel. No, they left the wheel on. They took the hubcap and left the lug nuts on the ground, but the wheel was still on. So as I backed up ten feet. Surprised them. Yeah. So when I lived in England, in a typical tiny little semi-detached house just outside of Reading, I had a very fancy golf car, BW Golf, and came out one morning and everything looked normal until I went around the other side of the car to find that it was on bricks and the two wheels were gone. (laughs) That was your car? I am so (laughs) If I knew that it was your car, I would never have done that. But, you know, I went through a hard time in my life, so what can I say? Yeah, it was uh, (laughs) – He had to have the the steering wheel put on the other side. It was a big mess. Right? (laughs) It was. Just out of interest, Carl, do you know um, there's a place in the UK which very unfortunately gets accused of things like this called Liverpool. Can you do a Scouse accent? Uh, uh, Uh. Paul, no? you better come down to the studio. John's gone freaking mad. He's like peeing all over the walls. We're trying to get him to calm down. But you would never say freaking. Carl, let it, let, it I, let, it let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Got to get anyway, down here. good. Surely the Beatles are more like that. Like, come into the studio, Ringo, and play the drums. John's gone mad. <laughs> it's not the only one, though. <laughs> okay, have you guys seen Get Back, the the new movie? Peter I want Jackson? to see that. I saw a clip last night, actually, Amazing. with them composing Get Back, the actual song. And yeah, like, Paul's literally geez. sitting down with the bass, and it's coming right out of his brain. Like, it's, it's amazing, it's isn't it? Developing. Yeah, I want to see that. That looks incredible. But the quality um, is just—it's like you're right there. Yeah. And, and the, the quality of the, the image is ridiculous because that lady sat there, maybe it's Linda, I don't know, but sat on the stairs in that kind of early 70s and late 60s outfit. But mm. it looks like, like you say, it looks like it was filmed yesterday. It's so yep. beautifully like uh, remastered. Restored. 
Yeah. Yeah. They enhanced the video from the original 35 millimeter. Another thing I heard they did was um, the something they did for Peter Jackson's last movie about World War One. I. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So they took audio that was all recorded on a single track. And, you know, because they only had four tracks or eight tracks to work with, they would typically record, you know, maybe a bass and a guitar and a vocal and another vocal all on the same track. Right. So they had to mix it as they're recording, which is hard. But what the Beatles would do is when they knew they were being filmed all the time and recorded all the time. So when they had conversations that they really didn't want anyone to hear, they would just start thumping on the guitars or whatever and just playing a little bit so that that in their mind, you know, if we over, if we play over this, nobody would be able to hear what we're saying to each other, which might be embarrassing or whatever. But um, Peter Jackson and his crew found a way to extract each signal from a single track digitally with AI and put it on its own track so you can hear all those conversations clear as a bell. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I love the idea that like they didn't think like sort of 50 years later, somebody would Mm. be able to do that to their conversations, (laughs) but that is amazing. Wow. I think, I think that fact is probably true. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's that one's true. (laughs) What do they say? Can you pass the chicken drummer, please? Ringo. No, um, one of the things. <laughs> one of the things that came out of it was George actually quit. George quit the Beatles. I'm quitting the band now. <laughs> I love George Harrison. I think he for me he was, was and he was probably. the most level-headed, yeah, uh, voice of reason in that whole thing. But also, they didn't know where they were going to play. They didn't. But out know. of all of them, his work for me is the best solo work. After I, I just agree. love yeah. you know Sweet Lord and all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you ready for my two stories? Because I've been sure. sitting here listening to yours and I'm desperate to get these out there because All right. um, Bring it. they're both true or they're both false or one. I don't know. I'm not going to commit, but see what you think. So the first one is um, my photograph and no, no looking up online for this. This is cheating. Um, you can do it afterwards. My photograph, uh, photograph of a trophy is what is used on Wikipedia for an international uh, sporting competition. And cool. The second uh, story is that once I um, I didn't really meet him, but I saw Trump from a distance walking through uh, a shop and I sh- I didn't know what to shout. So I just shouted out your hair uh, as he walked yeah. past. <laughs> <laughs> Ask away. <laughs> well, what, even if you didn't more? shout your hair at Trump, I commend you for... Yeah. <laughs> The sentiment. <laughs> but the irony is it's probably not his hair, right? So, you know, <laughs> he went, your hair, it's not mine. It must be sold to somebody else. Um, anyway, any questions, guys? So what's what sport? Uh, cricket. Mm-hmm. cricket. Go ahead, playing. Richard. Grill him. No, I uh, – so um, uh, is it your copy of The Ashes? <laughs> So I I um I went to Lord's Cricket Ground and I saw the cricket urn, the Ashes urn. Yeah. And um I just quickly took a cheeky picture of my digital camera and um mm-hmm. I uploaded it online, not to Wikipedia though, and somebody then contacted me and said, uh, we'd like to put it on Wikipedia, please. And so my picture is the uh of the urn uh, on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. That's taken by me. Does it credit you? 
uh, it does. There are legal reasons why I probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast because I don't know who owns the rights <laughs> to the image. Um, right. But I took the picture and it's, uh, if you go onto Wikipedia, don't do it now, obviously, mm-hmm. you can actually look up the image and you'll see there's a link to the website that I uploaded it to. So it's got my wow. name next to it. Hmm. Wow. it. You probably wouldn't recognize it as me because it says Daniel Grief, which is so square, mm-hmm. but uh, that's the same man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there wasn't any confusion of, of you like being an athlete in cricket, right? No, I, I didn't make up a story a about, you know, the actually there was one time when I was at primary school, I was, I was always terrible at all sports <laughs> and they put me on the right on the outside of the field, you know, behind the batsman where nothing's going to happen. And I was just standing there minding my own business and we we're playing with tennis balls, which fly miles when they hit with a cricket bat. Mm. Bearing in mind, we're like nine or 10. And I just, I saw it coming towards me and I, this is a true story, which is not part of this show, by the way. And I mm-hmm. just suddenly looked up and I thought, um, put your hands up to defend your face. And it landed in my hands. And of course, wow. what did I do? Yeah, I meant to catch that. I just uh, <laughs> positioned myself perfectly. All I was trying to do is protect my nose from getting smashed to bits, you know, and I just went, ah, oh, it's there. That, okay. That's, I was a- that's, now that's a true story. That's a true story. And I was a hero for about five I, minutes. I think so too. Yeah, and now yeah. I'm 40 years old. I'm still talking about it on a live show. So <laughs> clearly, you know, it has a 30 years later, it had a big impact on me. But that's not the, the story we're talking about here. So, um, yeah, so that's the, the cricket story. Do you want to ask about the Trump one? Well, what's to ask? I mean, where, well, first of all, where did you see him? Right. This is great. So I was in Harrods in London. And I don't know if you know for listeners in other countries, but it's a very expensive, like high end department store. They have lots of big names who turn up there. And um, there was this kind of bit of a kerfuffle, which uh, I suppose I don't think translates in other countries. Um, Translate that. It's it's kind of a big kind of a mess. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a blah. That's a bit of a mess. <laughs> so a bit of a mess at the door. A bit, a bit of a kerfuffle. There's something happening. A big event. There were like we call it a cluster. There were flashes outside the door, <laughs> and he came in, and I didn't. Well, say he came out. I didn't know it was him at the time, and I could see from a distance there was some celebrity that had like all these security guards. It was ridiculous, like a like a cage of people right. around him keeping him safe. A phalanx. A phalanx, yeah, which is Greek for a kerfuffle. So, <laughs> so they kind of they got this guy in, and I couldn't see who it was at first because I was actually by the um, jelly beans jelly counter, like jelly baby counter, and he best was food hall in the world. It's amazing, and if you know this place, like you just it's an experience to go and see the fish and everything. Yes. Oh, amazing. So he comes in, and as he's going past those, I could see he's a tall guy. He's rather. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you'd call like sunburnt orange, what that what mm-hmm. the exact skin, skin tone is, but he was that, and uh, and his hair man. was magnificent. I mean, if I was his age with that hair, I'd be very proud of myself, um, I guess. And and I just got a bit excited and carried away because you know how when you see a celebrity, you just all rational thought goes out the window, and you're like, oh, I said your hair. <laughs> now I, I would have thrown a shoe at him personally. I hope that I hope that one was true. And I and I just said your hair, and I thought, oh, I'm from Norfolk, where we say, you know, we speak like that in Norfolk. And I thought your hair is how we'd say you're here. So maybe I got away with that. I don't know. I just went your hair, and that's all I could say as he went past. And he sort of looked to the side like asshole, and sort of just went past. And that was the end of that. Really, Dan, it's a family show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> butthole and i uh, said deer nuts and you guys are like oh <laughs> you're quite right carl i i am i'm sorry so they're my two stories now 
which one I, do you want uh, to put a wager on? I'm ready to vote, personally. Yeah? Okay. Are you guys ready to vote? Mm-hmm. I, I hope the Trump story is true, so I'm voting for that. You, you, you sound very confident, all of you. I'm really surprised. I think the Trump story is half true. I think you actually saw tr- – no, I can't do that. Um, uh, I think you actually saw Trump, but you didn't yell out your hair. That's I'm with I you, think. cousin Carl. You're you way too you, no. You're way too proper. You wouldn't do that. You're yeah. way too proper to do that. You wouldn't do it. But you might have seen I, Trump. Everything else might have been true. You did not yell out your hair. That's what I think. So I therefore think your other story is true. I can reveal now to you that the Donald Trump story is in fact a lie. Yeah. So, okay, my, my sister went to Harrods once. I haven't been to Harrods for like 20 years because I don't really care for it. But my sister was there and she saw Clinton come in and exactly the same situation, but apparently his hair is fine. So she didn't say anything. She, she said, said, you're a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> so, moving on, family show. So, um, so Clinton came in and she saw him and that was it. So I kind of based that story on that one. But yeah. if you go to Wikipedia, you look up the ashes. It's my photograph of the ashes urn. And I wow. get asked a few times a year, can I give the that picture to different books, etc.? I tell you, do you want to share a screen? I don't know if you can do that from your end, Richard. If not, I can do it from mine. Um, and people like, who want to write books always say, can they use my photo? I've checked with lawyers. Now, because it's used on Wikipedia, it's a free service. It's okay. But I yes. couldn't make any money from it. Um, mm. But that's my photo of the ashes, which I thought when I saw your 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 um, truth earlier on, Richard, about the cricket thing, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, he'd love that. So I thought as I it's do. ashes season. I do love that. So anyway, can you confirm for us? Da- I can confirm Daniel Grief, Dan, and it was uploaded to Flickr. And, yep. yes, I am very, very cool. impressed. Very, very impressed. impressed. So there you go. That's now, kind of like cricket royalty there. The, you know, the <laughs> associated with the absolutely. Ashes. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. So awesome. I just want to say, um, I think we're kind of coming towards the end of our very long fun show. I don't know about you. I've really had a blast today. Uh, that's um, in American. That means fun. I've had a blast <laughs> today. Um, it's been, it's been I, I hope you've enjoyed it too. I hope we, we're going to go and have our fantastic meal in a moment there. So, yeah. Oh, I can just smell. Oh, I think the pork's almost ready. I think the mm-hmm. the ribs are almost done. Oh, even the coffee smell from the fridge is coming out strongly. So I think we're <laughs> we're almost. Oh, is that roasting of pumpkin seeds? I can smell. Oh I yeah, smell yeah. Can you smell that? It's amazing. So Carrie, we're going to go and have a massive feast now. Roast. Yeah, some smoked gonna... roast. Carrie, you going to come over? Yes. Bring one of them lamb shanks. Okay. I'm going to drink myself now some liquid smoke. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fine stuff that is lovely so uh anyway so i just want to say though a very happy christmas to the dude so thank you carl thank you carrie thank you richard it's been a fantastic show and oh, i wish look, you a very happy christmas. no idea merry christmas everyone i've got a bad joke here hang on what do you call what do you call a man with a seagull on his head Cliff. <laughs> Good. What do you call and on a, that? On that call, wait, 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 wait. What do you call a fish with no eyes? Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> you've got a thing against eyes today, haven't you? I'm a dad. I got dad jokes. What do you call a man with a spade on his head? 
Doug? Doug. Doug. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, take care, dudes, and have a very Merry Christmas, everybody, and all our listeners. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye bye.